foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Hey there, welcome to the Katie Says Podcast. This is the third in a series of special episodes we're calling Between the Lines, where Katie Bowman and Stephanie Domet explore the deeper messages in and connections between Katie's books. I am Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of, among other books, Move Your DNA. I'm Stephanie Domet. I'm a chronically curious writer and radio journalist. And today we're going to talk about Move Your DNA, which was actually just reissued in an expanded edition in May 2017. We'll also get the details on where Katie is teaching some really exciting live classes coming up. But first, Katie, you're just a couple of weeks now into your your latest social media fast. And I'm curious what you've noticed so far about this break. Oh, (laughs) so much. I wrote and released a couple podcasts ago why I was doing it. And I offered some tips on what to do with your hands because I had this idea that it was, you know, I've never, I've never been a smoker and had to go through the process of quitting smoking, but I've been around a lot of people who have, and there's this like instinct, they call it oral fixation, right? Where you have to keep your hands or mouth busy or my take on it is a little bit different, which is you might just be in the habit of doing these movements with your hands. And it's the same adaptation to doing the same thing that you do with your hips when you're, you know, when you're standing with your hips forward or whatever. Maybe it's just another one of those alignment makeovers where the alignment of my hand currently is good doing my what I call my social media laps on my phone. And that was exactly that's the been that's been the biggest thing for me to realize in that in those I think maybe I'm on my second week now in the first week 
it was simply the I'm standing in line at the grocery store or whatever. They grab my phone, pick it up and do. And like the instinct was to go through these laps. Facebook. Movement wise. Instagram. No, what do I do first? (laughs) Email. I could tell you, but you don't care. It doesn't matter. But yes, I have a very specific way of doing it. And I've seen other people recommend when you're on tech-free weeks or whatnot to to remove the apps actually physically from your phone, you know, to not have the Twitter button and the Instagram button. I would have done that. However, I have a very old phone. I'm on my second, I'm on my second refurbished smartphone. We will not be getting any more. So when it goes, it goes. I don't upgrade my software because I'm trying to phase out, not dive deeper in. So anytime I try to, someone says, you need this to be able to, you know, take square payments. For example, I'm going to do a book signing. They want me to sell my books. They want me to do square payments. I can't, I don't even have the technology on my highly technological phone to run what has been out in the last two years. Cause my phone's like three years old now. And so I can't remove anything because I can't reinstall it any longer. Those versions are no longer acceptable. So when I remove my Instagram button, I'm off of Instagram permanently, which maybe wouldn't be such a thing. So, but so there, they, there they are the, the movement. I have the phone in my hand cause I'm going to hold it anyway. Cause I'm still checking my email and other things. So my husband came up with the idea of like, you can move the icons around. So they're just not in the positions you expect them to be thus disrupting kind of the mindless loop. So he created some, I don't know, I don't even know how my phone works, some extra box where I could move all my social media icons into a box. He's like, just put it six screens over where you, where you never go to, which is next to this other thing that I can never find on my phone. <laughs> and that's all it took. It took just like kind of like if you move the furniture around in your house, like you would still walk to the same place to sit in the couch, but it's not there anymore. And that would be enough to trigger like, oh, I, I didn't want to sit in the couch anyway. Okay, right. I just had to physically change my phone habitat, and that was all it took to disrupt those laps. And I never did those laps again. Huh. That's been, I think, the single most important thing. And of course, you know, it's because I'm so interested in physical things. That's probably why what I'm noticing most. That was the, the thing that really jumped out at me. It was like, wow, I just moved things around on my phone, and by moving them my thumbs couldn't go in the same habit, that it really was the habit of my thumbs almost driving what was put into my brain and not the other way around. That is so interesting. Isn't that a trip? Like, I I love that because we've got it framed as as your brain is kind of, you know, you, that, that, a, that a habit is purely of the mind. And that's only because we've parsed the mind away from the thumbs. Mm. But I would say it's all in together. So all I had to do is disrupt my thumbs. And it was enough to give my mind a moment to catch up to where I wanted to be. That's been the most important, impactful thing that I've noticed. Are you missing anything about social media right now? Well, I am working a ton because I'm working a ton in a, in a way that I haven't before or maybe just in a really long time. I have a big social media platform. I'm so used to when I have something coming up, what I it's like a simple sugar. Like social media makes everything so easy that you don't have to put much of yourself into it. It's just, I, I, I think I see everything as simple sugar now. We're just kind of in a simple sugar way of doing everything. Relationships, community, food, 
work, business. It's all about how fast and how easy it is for you, which is all simple sugars are in your diet. They're a fast, easy way, just that there's a tax from eating that way. And I think that there's a tax from using that mindset in all realms. And so as things have come up, I'm so used to just dumping quickly something on social media and letting this whole mechanism that I don't understand that involves people and technology and earth stuffs harvested to make my message just so easily get to a bunch of people. It's not easy at all. I'm just not involved in it. It's going through this huge machine and I'm just so used to getting a big response in, in whatever, like whether it's a class or an appearance. So I've removed that privilege, if you will, that technological privilege kind of from my way of outreaching because like I said, I believe it's involving a lot more than I'm aware of. And I want to be aware. I want to be more involved in the the machinations of, of, of how I'm working. So I've missed the ease in one hand. On the other hand, I see this is exactly what I wanted, but I miss the ease, uh, the, the lack of me having to really think through everything in the, in the way to find the way that I'm most aligned with, with what I want to put out there and how. So I, I, I miss the ease. Uh, sure. I love comfort. just like everyone else. So I'm, I'm enjoying being uncomfortable in this new realm of work. What are the top three things you've accomplished since your fast began? Are you, are you more productive? Totally. <laughs> which is, which is, you know, and that's why I wanted to be clear. I'm like, this is not a break. And what happens every time, probably I or anyone takes a break is that the break is from the habit. It's not, it's not like vacation mode. It's just changing. And I grow anytime I create a change. So just, you know, I, we were about ready to record this show and I had to pop off because there's people, you know, knocking on the door. And one of the things that we, we've had a lot, I mean, doesn't everyone have a long list of things to do that are both personal and for their home and for their mission or their work? One of the things was we have a well on our property and it doesn't work when the electricity's mm. out. And I just kept thinking, this is crazy that electricity has to be the middleman for bringing up water when 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 the electrical pump that we have now replaced the perfectly fine manual pump that was there before. You know, whoever lived here 20 or 30 years ago, you know, it's a drag to pull up all that water and I totally get that. Like I my I'd have to give up podcasting if I had to draw water for everything that we did. And we've been slowly like moving our um bath water to trees and other things, you know, as we're trying to conserve water and be more mindful of water usage, you become more mindful of it when you have to move the hose to where it goes. We've added a manual pump. At at first, like on one hand, it's just to be less on the grid or to not need to not have to depend on that. I also, I I don't have irrigation in the gardening. I I purposely set it up without irrigation so that I manually have to haul water. So now now we have a hose, so now I'm going to try pumping the water before I haul it. Movement matters. It's a movement mattersing. I'm like movement mattersing up my life a little bit more. But I, I find it's also outside of that. It's just kind of nice to be able to have water. You know, we wouldn't have to have electricity, and we would still have wood to burn. Mm. Now we'll have water, and those are two big. Those are human necessities that now I've removed the middle, the middle man structure from that. And I feel good about that. I feel like, no, that's, that's what I want. I, you know, I like pulling back 
not only the personal responsibility, but just the ability to take care of myself if someone else weren't able to maintain the grid. And the grid is a good book recommendation if no one's read it. Mm. Like, I'm just learning about all these things that I never really thought. I just depend. I've outsourced my knowledge on the grid. I just assume that I'm going to flick the switch and something's going to happen. I don't really have a plan if it doesn't, even for like six days. You know, I'm not even talking about like there's no more electricity, period. Just when things go out, which... I feel good about. So that was one that seems big. The other one was this stinking drawer. Ah, the drawer. The drawer. Does everyone have a big drawer of crap that goes nowhere, but it seems to like you move and it's the last drawer. You're like, oh, I forgot the drawer. And then you dump it into a box and you get to your next place and you're like, oh, this is the stuff in the drawer. And then you just dump it all in the next drawer. (laughs) So the drawer has evolved into something where it causes me stress. Like every time I walk by, it's a drawer and it's, I, it's socks. It's <laughs> socks. Like, I don't even want to say that it's something amazing like tools and photographs and things that even really need to, like, it's socks. Wait, it your junk drawer is just full of socks? I ha- We don't actually have really any other junk drawers. We have a lot of junk dra- jars. We oh. have, like, 12 junk drawers, so they're distributed well to not cause me anxiety. <laughs> but I have this drawer in my, I've, like, been paring down my closet over years to just two suspended racks like I don't have drawers of clothes anymore yeah and a lot of things I would like to say in my closet are things that you have handmade for me so thank you for that I was just noticing I was like look there's my Stephanie handmade by Stephanie Domet collection so I love the clothes that you've been learning how to sew but anyway I have this this drawer of socks you know I I have done consultant work for my happy feet alignment socks so Mm -hmm. imagine like 12 pairs of alignment socks and then I've got you know wool socks and like and then my husband's and I socks get all mashed up and then there's like one of maybe seven different pairs of kids socks for the last six years so none of them don't even fit anyone in our home anymore just this huge like ball and it it just starts like escaping over the lip of the drawer and it just seemed like why can't I get this together and I just never could because I had to like do my work once I got rid of social media it took me three days to tackle that drawer that I've moved for three years. Amazing. Amazing. And then once I did that, it was this like, it created space. Like it's, it's hard to see social media as something that's taking up space because the space is in our head. Yeah. But if, you know, if the space in your head is occupied, you don't have mental space or head space to do these other tasks. And once I got rid of that invisible thing, I mean, I cleared out business files just that I've been carting around for years of stuff that was years old or outdated or just been thrown in there in haste because I didn't have time and I just purged it out. So I have these physical boxes of stuff moving out of my home. And then also now what's left is a more organized, easy to find set of things, whether it's paired up socks or or business and tax files. And so it it's just it's future work or load or stress removed as well. And so those are the few things. And that's not even like, that's not even like, oh, look, I have more time to go to the beach or whatever. Like, it's not even that. That's just summertime. It's like really keeping to this idea that I'm still working. and I'm not trying to take a vacation of working less. That's not what this is about. It's that I was able to align my life a little bit better. And so those are maybe the three major, major things. And if you're getting my newsletter, So you talk about what I miss about Instagram. One of the things I miss are social media. I miss the art. I'm not an artistic person at all. Or I should should stop saying that. You are the author of eight books. 
I create many and right. And that's, that's, you know, that's my conditioning where I've been taught that art is this and, and like um, science and math is this, but I understand now you're, it's all creation, right? So yes, I've created things, but physical beauty has not been uh, a realm that I experience comfortably. It's actually an uncomfortable space for me to occupy. So one of the things I loved about Instagram was that taking pictures was an art form that I just, I just tuned into it. Like I, it was my art. So my Instagram was this outlet of this slightly creative, like, how do I want to show this? You, you can show a situation in so many different ways. So I, when I lost Instagram, when I lost it, oh. like a lover, <laughs> when we broke up, when I went to the, when I went to Europe for the summer, I found myself missing that part the most. I enjoyed not feeling the obligation of recording every, you know, moment, mm-hmm. but I missed setting up beautiful things. And so I created a new category of my newsletter where I include eight photos So it allowed me to still meet that artistic need. So I'm building in like eight physical examples. Because when I did a poll, Instagram is one of my one of my most positive, excited, uh, joyful communities who are like, we learn so much through seeing the physical example like that it's modeling. And that's modeling isn't something I can really do in any other teaching venue. So Mm. I thought I'm going to continue modeling through my newsletter now. So now there is one newsletter that comes a month that is just purely photos with just the captions underneath. So it was a way for me to meet that need and the public's need, but not through going through social media. Perfect. It was stacked. Oh, I wanted to note uh, that we heard from a listener who wrote to us. uh, So we've been We've been doing these Between the Lines podcasts uh, and thinking of it as a book club. And we're going to, you know, over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll, or months, I guess, we'll work our way through each of your books and talk about the, the ideas and the connections. And somebody wrote to ask, you know, whether there was a discount for those who, who want to go through the books as we're doing mm-hmm. this book club series, which is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, we're responsive. So <laughs> through the end of <laughs> August, you can take $5 off any of Katie's books, that's paperbacks or ebooks at nutritiousmovement.com. Just use the the code podcast five. So that's podcast and the number five with no space between them. And for ebooks, that makes ebooks like five bucks. Yeah. For any of these books. Like the ebooks are only $9.99. So if if you're feeling like I would really like to like this con you know, this content, it may like they're five dollar books essentially right now. Yeah. Which just makes it nice and accessible for for anybody who wants to to kind of read along as we go. Yeah, reach reach um, of these ideas is my what I'm most interested in. So so enjoy and thank you for the suggestion, listener. Good job, listener. All right. Well, I think we should talk about move your DNA. <laughs> oh, right, right, the well, book. Called right, okay. today, Katie Bowman. Exactly, exactly. Let's do it. All right. So, how would you describe move your DNA? Move Your DNA presents the idea that, I guess there's, a, there's two ideas within it. The two big ideas are one, that movement is um, a cellular phenomenon versus the whole body phenomenon. I mean, it certainly is also a whole body phenomenon, but it is at its root a cellular phenomenon. And what you see on the whole body level 
is the accumulation of the cellular adaptation. And so if for anyone who's worked in exercise science or physical therapy or health or who is an exerciser or who's just read, you know, probably any general magazine or newspaper, we are inundated with this idea of exercise. And exercise is always referred to really as this like whole body phenomenon. And it is on one hand, but it's also not. And because we can only think of it on that large level, we're missing kind of really the broader understanding that's required to get why why it's so necessary. Like, it's not something that you need to be like extra fit or healthy. It's kind of like a basic requirement like eating. But if you don't really know how eating works, like so, so eating, the way eating works and the way movement works are very similar. And it, again, it's on a cellular level. So I introduced that concept. The other concept that's in there is... You need so much movement total, and that total movement needs to be distributed well throughout your body, that pursuing that increase in movement through exercise is not likely going to get you there. It's almost, even just for time, impossible to get it pursuing it only through exercise because the actual requirement is very, very robust. So natural movement would be the movements that that have been present through the entire human timeline with the exception of like, there's been kind of a slow decrease of our exposure to a movement to a, to a habitat that requires movement like that. And this is kind of the, where the, the movement matters part is, is we've been kind of slowly outsourcing movement for a long period of time, but we have only recently done it super rapidly. So I think there's like three timelines in there or a nod to three timelines where there's like the introduction of agriculture was one point where you had people who used to migrate and have to move quite a bit to subsist, right? So they're, they're getting their plants and their animals through a ton of motion. Mm. Then with the introduction of agriculture, agriculture is a way to reduce movement by going, hey, we don't have to go all the way around. We can actually plant it here. So now we've eliminated our need to travel for it. We'll cultivate it here. But not all of it grows really well right here because we used to cover a very large space. So then you lose the diversity in the species and the crops that you're consuming, but it's all right here. So you start to see a lack of diversity of movement, lockstep with a lack of diversity of what you're consuming, right? So now we're starting to be hyper-consuming certain things where that wasn't the trend before. And so if you're interested in environment-type stuff and diet-type stuff, to me, this is the intersectional idea of all of these things. It's this kind of human timeline. So, so we went to that. I would say in ancestral health or evolutionary biology, this time period is of importance because you start to see a shift. Hmm. Then you can go way fast forward to maybe the industrial revolution. That's much more modern. But it, it was a time where people still were moving quite a bit, even though they had drastically reduced the diversity of what they were eating, com- relatively speaking. Now they did so even more. And we're introducing machines that are replacing labor for some people, there are some people laboring of more particular types to make the machines. But let's just like if we just 
go with the background really of the listener, we're the ones benefiting from the machines. And so like we're starting to outsource our movement more to machines and we're producing things that are like even more easy to produce. So you start to see again, like what we eat changes radically to what can be stabilized maybe and and mass produced. But even at that point, a couple hundred years ago, everyone still had a garden in their house. And I'm just, I'm reading Wendell Berry right now, which is like kind of like being in a small fist fight (laughs) all the time. And you, and you don't have any arms. Like someone's just punching you in the face the whole time, which I appreciate. (laughs) Have you ever read them? It's intense. But he was like, there were no grocery stores 80 years ago. Yeah. You know, we have gone, you know, so like this is even post industrial revolution. But so like now you're going like even more to where people now we have cities, right? You know, so like you're you're changing the habitat even more. You've got high concentrations of people living together and not moving. And you're going to see a lot of different infectious disease. Like there's just like all these cool timelines. And then so then you go to. I mean, you could probably even put in a line. I'm reading. I read a lot. I'm reading about victory gardens between World War One and World War Two, so you can see where people still were with the. I'm interested in the movement aspects, but people who study victory gardens, they have all this information of like how much food and time people actually were laboring for their own food, just as a way to contribute to the efforts of the war at that time. Those were acts of patriotism and whatnot. And then you go to now, and and so like you keep losing movement, right? Gardens have gone away for the most part. And now we've got a totally industrialized food system, which was different than agriculture, like the introduction of agriculture. So that's a huge timeline. And, it, and and they're radically different things. It's like a farm now is not what a farm was, you know, 50,000 years ago. And, and, and so... There's just been this constant change, constant change. And I would argue that the changes are always for less movement without us realizing it. What we call efficiency is always outsourcing. Like, oh, we're going to add rows now, right now. And I can walk between the rows and like, we're going to lift them up. So I don't have to bend over as much, you know, like that we keep outsourcing our movement. And every time we do that, we end up with something that's a little bit more streamlined and a little less diverse. Yeah. It's efficient in some ways and inefficient in many others. Totally. And totally disruptive. I would say that the cost is in in what it disrupts in Earth, on Earth, elsewhere. Whether it's in other communities, other people's lives, or actually in terms of harvesting from the planet. Then we go to like, I don't know, what do you call the information? Like the, The I don't know, what is it? Age of information. So Mm -hmm. like, when did everyone have a computer? So we are in something that, I mean... I didn't have a computer until I was a graduate student. Mm. Like as far as I think, you know, we had a a home computer for a a couple of years, but I feel like it was more like an Atari, you know, like it was a (laughs) Commodore, but like it was just a gaming thing. But as far as the internet, I don't even think I really became aware of the internet and used it regularly until I was in graduate school. So, so we're under 20 years. Yeah. And that's another outsourcing where now now our movement has just it's been reduced a little bit more and so i'm introducing these time periods like every time these time periods that are marked historically for probably other reasons i look at them through a movement of view and what i see over time is a slow outsource of of total movement and you know with this age you know before you worked in a factory maybe you know a couple hundred years ago but you you were still you know walking to home to that factory and back like you know there was still a lot more movement now 
Now you don't even need to leave your house. Like you can telecommute. You can date online. You can find a mate online. You can secure shelter online. Every every aspect of meeting a human need, your communities are online. Mm-hmm. Your friends are online. They require no physical displacement of your whole body in these really particular ways. So to me, natural movement is if you removed all of that, the total amounts and distributions and types and frequencies of movement that would be required were we not in these times, with the argument being the same as kind of that overall mismatch theory that comes from evolutionary biology, which is this change has happened too quickly for us to really evolve to it. We're adapting, you know, as best we can, but we haven't really been able to get rid of those input needs in the same way that just because just because what you can get at your grocery store in your local town might meet your caloric requirements or or what you have in your refrigerator might meet your caloric requirements it's not necessarily able to meet your nutritional requirements overall that you could still have an, an abundance of food but but no actual nutrition it's still, Exactly. Exactly. And so like adaptation isn't necessarily the same as progress. Oh yeah. No, no, (laughs) no, absolutely not. Then I think that's the, the idea we we use the term adapt in a positive. And I guess it is in the short term. It's like, I'm still here. Yeah. But I look at like, let's look at large trends of, of uh, human experience. We're living longer, but perhaps not better as (laughs) self-reported as self-reported by the person doing the living. You write in this book, is our physiology broken or is it responding completely appropriately to our particular misuse of our bodies? This to me feels like the, the key question mm. of move your mm. DNA. And it, it harkens back to the example you use at the start of the book of the, the captive orcas with the floppy fin syndrome. What's at stake if we don't really take this idea of this book on board? Um, I think it's, you know, we're all dealing with our experience, whether it's through health, I health is, you know, the area that I tend to focus on. And when, when you frame a problem as, well, when you fa- when you frame an issue as a problem, when you, when you frame the thing with your body as the problem, rather than the perfectly normal response to the habitat, you will never really ever come to the conclusion that the thing that you're dwelling in is the is the problem. It's the pressure that's creating the thing. So there's quite a few problems that we are spending a ton of money trying to, you know, air quote, solve without paying attention to the environment that we're in. It's almost like we're completely ignorant to the idea that our environment, that we're responsive creatures. You know, we just keep saying it as like this thing, this thing, this this thing in my otherwise perfectly working body has just spontaneously gone off. So we're looking and we've been kind of trained to like the thing has gone off and like patch it with the, the medicine or the thing that's to fix the thing. It's like, well, if, if we knew that there was an environmental cause to it, then we could change the environment. And as you start to see issues that come up that are just high frequencies across people living in a particular way where there's these large natural experiments going on, then I don't know if it's easier to change the environment, but if you're looking to solve the problem, 
to me, not acknowledging that the problem is the environment is a, is not a step that you want to avoid. So what's at stake is the fact that we just keep getting lost in the tunnel of trying to solve the problem without, without ignoring the elephant. Like that's like pushing on the thing. <laughs> you know, with this big you, could, you could fix your trick knee forever over and over, but it's not going to stay fixed unless you look at the larger forces. Is that it? Yeah. And you know, this is making me think again, back to where we started with this mental space. You have a lot of mental space being occupied with surviving in the environment that you're in, which is not abnormal. I don't think for a human. However, it's like we are like trying to create solutions, patting ourselves on the back for creating solutions while simultaneously creating the problem. It's just because like, it's a very small loop. And it's like, well, you know, when we pride ourselves on figuring out this amazing solution for this thing that, again, this is back to Movement Matters, that requires a ton of earth harvesting or harvesting from other cultures and experiences of other people, the efficiency of that solution, you might you might miss, again, the, the inner workings of that solution when you don't understand the full cost of those solutions and how easy it is how simple, how simple it is to change your highly malleable environment versus let that environment continue Why harvesting or disabling someone else's. So I, I think that's my biggest, that's my biggest takeaway, but that, but movement matters doesn't have necessarily that second piece. It's simply, you know, you're highly sedentary. That's, that's really, I think, all move your DNA is saying it's it's showing the difference between can I go back and answer that first question again it is it's answering the idea that we have two categories exercisers and non-exercises and our perception is exercisers are amazing non-sedentary people and if you don't exercise you're a couch potato move your DNA is like hey exercisers you exercise one to two hours a day compared to non-exercising movers you're a couch potato in a nicer way than that. And this is why that, that distinction between exercise and movement is so important to you. Yeah. And it becomes important later on. It, it has a greater importance for research purposes. But at the beginning, that first person who was like, wait, did you just call me sedentary? I'm a marathoner. Did you just call me sedentary? And it's like, I kind of have to because numerically you are and we're an entire sedentary culture. And if no one calls that piece out, we will continue to try to problem solve with the perception that we're active, missing that we're entirely sedentary. That's the point of move your DNA. You are sedentary. I am sedentary. Our families are sedentary. Our entire infrastructure depends on us being sedentary. And here's like 70 things you can do to be a little less sedentary within, again, the comfort zone of your own life. And just that change in how you think about it is going to make it so much easier for you to understand why you're not receiving the benefits of a non-sedentary person. So that's that's kind of, I think, move your DNA in a 32-minute <laughs> crux. Super large nutshell. Exactly. <laughs> you also write in this book, our, and I think this, this echoes what, you, what you've been saying just now, our bodies are capable of amazing feats. If our minds agree to cooperate. Yeah. You know, there's like this 
I mean, what's an amazing feat? I mean, to change is an amazing feat. I don't mean that you have to go out and walk 40 miles, but I, I do think that we... Have a chair for the first time and sit on the floor. Amazing. An amazing feat. To spread your toes away from each other for the first time, an amazing feat. We have so many you-can't-do-that messages, and we hand them down. We bequeath them so simply without realizing it, telling people all the time what is and what is not possible because of what we know. When I would say that what we know is entirely skewed by what we've done, which is almost nothing physically. So it's really hard as an immobile culture, sedentary culture, to not pass down to our children just how sedentary, just how how all of these other movements just aren't possible for pain or for injury or for their weirdness or whatever that that we real that we really are can I mean we're continuing to to do that. So I like I like you know that's why people love videos of look at this person doing this like crazy acrobatic thing and you watch it on YouTube and you're like that's amazing. That person must be different. Right. That's that's you know what we come up with, which is what I loved about dynamic aging. Yeah. Which was like these are four women who are, you know, 77 and 78 and 79 and 80, and they just all got in the tree for the first time. And they are not someone who, you're not watching a circus video from 10 years ago from someone who's, you know, been doing gymnastics classes for the last 30 years. These are people who started with like the pelvic list and the calf stretch 10 years ago. And they are living examples of what you would have said before watching this just isn't possible or is possible only for an, an extraordinary person where I'm, where I'm more like, these are like basic human mobilities that we're talking about. They should be kind of fundamental across the board for almost all humans. And I think we need to start changing that message. And, and a lot of it is changing our mindset about what is normal or natural and recognizing our highly unnatural sedentary behavior, I think is the first step. Yeah. Because those, I want to go back to the, the four women you, you co-wrote dynamic aging with, you know, when that book came out, we, we did encounter, you know, from some people a response of them being, you know, super agers or, or, or somehow, as you say, somehow different, but, but they came to, you know, they came to nutritious movement with their own sets of issues and limitations and, you know, chronic kind of health, what they felt were chronic health things, just like anybody listening might, might have, or might feel that they have limitations and and chronic health issues that prevent them from, you know, really seeing any kind of, any kind of benefit. Well, I mean, I think almost every single one of those women actually verbalized, I can't do that. I'll never be. I've never been able to do that. And I won't be able to do that. I can't. I won't. Like, it's just, it's because you can't imagine doing something I don't think that you've never done before. And you can't imagine doing some, I think maybe some people can, right? We have ingenuity. So obviously people can envision things that haven't happened yet. But what you have seen you know, especially if we just talk about aging, what you are, or birthing, or, or whatever, like, or marriage, or child rearing, you just, you you are getting so many subliminal messages about how it is, period. Mm. 
And that that's actually what you're saying. What you're saying is I've never done it and I've never seen anyone else do it. So therefore, it's only what I've seen and what I've personally done. Like that sets the, the boundary of possibility. And that's why I think I wrote Dynamic Aging specifically, which is because you could have a book like Move Your DNA and you could say, do this, you know, all the way up until you're 99 and a half. Like, it's still fine. You can still make improvements. And everyone's like, yeah, right. So I had to go, well, okay, let me get you some visuals and some people because you won't believe it until you have seen. I mean, that's what I mean, that's what we need proof for at this point. You know, like we are just we need some sort of proof. And so the challenge is when you have a whole group of people that barely moves to find that regular visuals to that proof is challenging with the, you know, pulling in, well, here's some other humans on the planet right now. And they're the same as us. And they just have a different lifestyle and look at what they do. Then you're kind of like, huh. but you know, then your, your mind rightly so just goes to, well, that's because X, Y, and Z. And then someone eliminates those. No, not really. Those I'll check out. And then you're like, okay, well, like you're just, to me, I think it's a maybe a reflexive way to not have to do the work to change. Changing, it's like a reflexive way of having to rebuild basically the shape of your body, which move your DNA is really trying to pull out, which is you are a shape. And I don't use shape in the like, are you in shape or out of shape? You want to get in shape like that's not what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a physical shape, a mass distribution to your body that's on a cellular level. And you are constantly adding and removing the number of an anatomical parts, depending on how small you want to think about it, based on how you're moving through your life and, and what you're, what forces you're exposing yourself to. And, and you can change those simply by going outside new set of forces. than when you are inside, you know, I'm trying to break it down on the most gross biomechanics level, which is like, is the floor, is the floor you're walking on flat or uphill or downhill? Is it bumpy or rocky? And like, I just keep adding more and more pieces because I think it's easier to start with, okay, I can see the difference between flat and uphill. It's, it's harder to see how the difference between 50 degrees and 70 degrees moves your body differently. It's hard to see how the difference of sunshine versus not sunshine moves your body because we're not used to talking about the shape of the ground and the temperature and if if you're in a community or not as things that require different types of movement. So I'm trying to put the thread of movement really through everything that you experience in your life to say, that's what's made your shape. Hmm. That's also what move your DNA is about. I'm just going to answer all your questions like 10 minutes down the road, if that's going to be okay. And if all of them could just end with, no, that's what move your DNA is about. That would be perfect. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Okay. No problem. I want to talk about motivation a little bit because I was really struck by this. In the book, you use the example of if your motivation in walking two miles is to strengthen your legs, burn calories, stretch your muscles, that's exercise. But if your motivation is I need to run these errands and I'm I'm going to do them on foot, that's that's movement. Why does motivation matter here? There's one line in Move Your DNA where I'm I'm saying that the the intention is part of what categorizes. And this is actually not, this is not my idea. These are the defin- these are the fundamental definitions of exercise. So they're not mine. They've been in the researcher for a few decades, 30, 35 years. Because, and why I think it matters is we are at this point where I don't think humans in 
in our culture have ever moved less. And we are not going into the move more direction. We're going into the move even less than the never like unprecedented little movement that's ever happened. We are heading in the less, 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 less direction. And so there are so many science references to why we need to move more. There are public health policies. Like everyone's trying to get people to to exercise more. But the biggest limitation is that it seems like this is, we're at this time where we've never, I also put this in move your DNA, we've never moved less, but we've also never rested less, worked more. It's just that all of this work and stress is happening in an almost sedentary vessel, right? Because you can get almost everything that you need to get done for your life without moving. So you're noticing like the amount of time that we have is smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. We're, we're not able to even get to our basic needs of being able to make sometimes a meal. We don't have time to visit or connect with our family. There are no more two-week family vacations or these long steps away for, for a lot of people. These things that we think are just like, oh, this is just how it is. They're almost all gone. You know, people used to go to work and clock out. Now you have your phone with you all the time. You're always working. You're always checking your email because it's right there, which means, relatively speaking, you're making less, working mm-hmm. more. Because you're because the fact that that's your habit isn't really like, oh, you're going to carry your phone with you and check your social media and your email 700 times a day. Well, I'll pay you $2 every time you do that. That doesn't happen, right? You're just cutting into your non-work time to do this work thing. And so we're at a time where the need for movement has never been larger. The time for movement has never been smaller. When you tell someone they need more exercise, there's no possible way because of physics, it's going to happen. When we can see that movement is something that we have chosen to remove from our lives, and thus we can just step back from the most, like the highly technological way we've chosen to do something. When we can see the highly technological way we've chosen to do something was the less movement version, we can choose to go back to the lower version and thus infuse that movement back into our life without adding any exercise. So to recognize that movement is something that can accomplish your non-exercise life stuffs is to me the only way the math will ever work out where you can get a movement-rich life that is really exercise-free. That's my end goal is to have, you know, maybe not even exercise-free because we all we live where we live and so I think there's going to have to be some some planning, you know, around that bout of exercise. But maybe another way to say it is to to get that bout of movement that you enjoy, that play hour, in addition to six to eight hours of more of more movement just just by living. And and so you have to recognize that there is a difference between when your intention is to do movement just for movement's sake, which is what exercise is. Or when it's your intention to change something about your habitat, whether it's changing the water pump or it's parking farther away or it's just not driving at all. When you've intentionally 
changed your, your, the way you execute your normal life. I'm just going to walk to the grocery store. Why is that any different than walking 30 minutes on a treadmill? Walking 30 miles to the grocery store fits into your life. And you also got your groceries. Driving to get your groceries and then driving to the gym to walk 30 minutes might help if you can't get to your grocery store. But then you just have to start thinking like, well, surely there are some places that I can walk. Like, so in Movement Matters are all those other tips of how to start thinking about changing that orientation. But I think that key to recognizing that exercise is not a natural phenomenon is to recognize that movement used to facilitate life. It just doesn't in our culture. We, we have outsourced it. It's a very important distinction to recognize that our culture has given our movement to other things or people. And so in the beginning, one of the first, I think the introduction to Movement Matters all stemmed from that single line and move your DNA. Because there was one review where someone was like, yeah, she lost me when she said that intention mattered. There's no possible way that intention is going to affect my physiology. And I was like, okay, if you believe that there's no possible way, then that is true. But here's how it, here's why it matters. It matters when it comes to how you're going to end up practically bringing movement into your life. You have to see that there's a difference between those two things that only when you can get something else done during your bout of movement will you be able to move outside of your exercise time, which is really a small amount of your total time that defines you as sedentary, even if you get that exercise. You know, I was really struck in in rereading this book in, in preparation for this conversation uh, by the ways in which it offers, in I think, equal amounts, uh, alignment matters and movement matters to, to readers, mm. you know, sort of, I guess, depending on what part of the elephant they're handling, to, to quote yeah. your own words back to you. That, you know, we talked last uh, time about those two books and, and the ways in which all your books really kind of spring from, from those two. And, uh, and that was really evident to me in this reread of, of Move Your DNA after that question, uh, after that conversation we had last time. It was just the, the way the seeds of all those ideas are are presented here. What did I say? Yeah, I said last time that I see my blog, all those separate articles as like a single body of work. Yeah. I kind of see all of my separate books as a single body of work because you will get something different when you read all of them and cycle through them a couple of times versus only picking out one. If you only had exposure to one, you will get what you get from it. But by reading another, you will then go, oh, that's what she meant over here. All right, with getting that one example in this other book, it kind of sets in another idea. And then when you get exposed to some new ideas, when you go back, you'll go like, oh, this was here the whole time. I didn't even, I didn't even, it, it didn't even, like you didn't have context for it, right? Because a lot of times yeah. you are stepping outside of uh, your culture. And so it's challenging at first to to see it all. So they definitely, I don't know what that phenomenon is. It's 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 the same thing that happens when, when you do, one type of exercise, the physical outcome is different. So like say there's two different types of exercise or two exercises. If you do exercise A in isolation, even if you do it like a, at a double the normal volume, or you do exercise B, in each one of those scenarios, you're going to have a different experience. And then if you do half the volume, but the two of them together, you'll have a different experience. And the same thing with food. In Move Your DNA, I talk about quashi or core, which is I'm trying to explain how your total movement diet <laughs> affects your health 
It's not like the sum total of the effect of one exercise and another in isolation. It's how they all work, how they synthesize. And so you could have people, I can't remember the, the full details, but like there are people who have adequate calories, but when they're different ratio, like they eat a certain amount of starches, they're going to have a different outcome than if they eat those same amount of starches with additional protein. So like the starches aren't the, what makes this particular issue. It's the lack, it's the lack of the protein with the starches, right? So that it's all this ecology. I don't think I ever use that word in move your DNA. I start busting out. This is ecological in movement matters. It's this idea that things are influencing other things. And so I wonder if, I mean, is Movement Matters is only there because you've read Movement Matters. Does that make sense? That's absolutely right. I mean, like, it's like you can't, you can't necessarily see those until you read the other book because, because the starches behave different with the proteins, like the details, like the deep, like the Movement Matters is like adding the protein to the thing. You're like, I'm having a different experience moving through this book now. So information is like that. That's why the integration of threads of knowledge need to come together because the conclusions that you make when you only have some threads change when you add in other threads. And so it's ecological thinking overall, but I think you can get there by reading, just reading a lot of the separate ones together. You begin to, you begin to do the work to synthesize because the synthesization, is that a word? The synthesizing, it is now, (laughs) the synthesizing that's how you learn is when you take the pieces and can integrate them. Like I didn't, you read Movement Matters and thus you learned more from, from the book that you had already read. You did that. I didn't do that. That was happening in your mind. And, and so when you do the input of, of knowledge or information, the learning is based on what was in there before and what comes in after. And, I all the time will read something. A lot of what I write is that I've read something today that finally gels with something I read 15 years ago. Right. That I have access to those pieces. Maybe that's my personality is that I have like loose threads of things that I don't actually understand, but I don't have time necessarily to pursue understanding, but I'm aware of those loose threads. And when I pull something in, it's like, I get it. I get that thing that I didn't understand fully 15 years ago, but I didn't have time to go figure it out. Or maybe there was nothing else available on it. So that's why for me, like I, I consume reading in lots of different fields. Cause I find that by reading victory gardens, <laughs> a book on victory gardens, it helps me understand movement ecology better. Why would a victory garden book, which is a political science book about a short period of time inform my work as a biomechanist, because I just, it's not, because biomechanics isn't a real thing. It's just a word that we've put on a thread of knowledge that we've assembled in a particular way. So I just, I'm, I'm like becoming like more and more labelless. I find that the less labels I can put on things, the more I actually understand. So I'm just, you know, what am I? Earth dweller. Yeah. Earth dweller. I find myself speechless at that thought. Uh, but I think <laughs> of, you know, the first time I read The Catcher in the Rye when I was 11 or 12, I thought it was hilarious. The language to me was hilarious. And then when I read it again, when I was an adult, I thought it was tremendously sad and a little disturbing. 
Right. You know, I think of that that saying of the you can't stand in the same river twice because you're different and the river is different. And mm-hmm. it's that way with books. You know that you come back to them or you 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 understand them through your own lens and that lens can change and so then the book changes even though I mean yes this is a new edition an expanded edition but but it's not that different from from the first edition. It's the reader who who's different or who brings what, you know, it's the reader who finishes the book. The writer doesn't finish the book. The reader finishes the book. That's probably why I write so many books is because like that, the book is the river and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm different now. I would, I would, I would, uh, I want to rewrite the river. And so, um, (laughs) our editor, my editor is always really good. Like, eh, it just needs to stay as it is. You can't go back and change it. Like just write something new if you want to, but you can see, you know, the river is still flowing in the same direction. The volume of it might have changed. It might have changed direction a tiny bit. There's some rocks in it now. It's a little bumpier than it used to be. But, like, that's that's what's happening is, is just, I mean, we're all growing. And do you have any of those books that you read, like, every year of your life? Yeah. So I wonder what yeah. those are. Those must be books. I wonder if we just subconsciously have these goalposts, you know, where when we read it, or, or if you've ever just watched a, a movie, a hundred times. And then all of a sudden, one time you see something in there that you've never seen before. That always yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, me too. Why I did I need it. to see that? Like, so to me, my meditation is always, there's something that, that passage, this thing, this thing that I never saw before in the book or the movie came to me right now. And it's important that it did because it tells me something about me and it lets me see a little bit about how I've changed or who I am. So I spend a lot of time paying attention to what I pay attention to when I read. And so maybe that's what book clubs are, you know, so great is you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't get that message from it at all. So it just goes to show you how our perceptions are just really informed by our experiences, but the more experiences you have or the or the the more type of challenging experiences you can have that cause you to grow or the you know the more diverse people that you spend time with the more informed you can be or the the more your the more your perspective can broaden a little bit so anyway i have to say that all this talk of moving your dna has me sort of longing to do that <laughs> so yeah. i'm hoping we can kind of cap things off with the <laughs> yes, with- <can. laughs> Oh, like a move your DNA move? Yeah. Um, move your DNA move. Oh, so this is not an exercise in the book. Like there was no pictures for it or anything else, but it's still one of my favorites. And it is, imagine that you are, that you have a globe around your head and shoulders, like that you're in the center of it. So it's like you poked your head into like a helmet that was just really big, (laughs) the size of like, like a, like a big beach ball. And if you put your hands out to the right and to the left, you're touching the inside of the globe that's surrounding your upper body. So the globe has a, a surface, right? It's not a circle. It's a globe. I want you to paint as much of the interior of that globe as you can. So it's a it's in move your DNA in a section of like your shoulders are very very dynamic. They have a a lot more movement potential and they're kind of a complex joint. So if you just start painting, you know, your 
I would suggest that you will always paint the globes. Like if you actually had paintbrushes in your hands, you would see these like really bold strokes. Yeah. Over the ranges of motion that come easy to you. And then there would be these like glaring bald spots, bare <laughs> oh, spots yeah. where okay. that you can't yeah. touch. Right. So you're, you're going out to the side, but then you're, you're painting up and down and you're going to go all the way in front of you. And you want to make sure that you're able to paint the whole thing low down behind you. You cannot paint the entire globe because your shoulders won't allow that, but you want to reduce the amount of unpainted space as possible. So like when you're painting behind you, you might have to like really squeeze your shoulder blades back behind you. You have to really push your shoulders down. And so I don't necessarily want to tell you what to do with your arms and your shoulders, et cetera, to reach this globe. I just want you to paint the inside of it. And in this way, you you just kind of experience like, well, this is easy over here. And like, oh, can't get there very well. Or I notice that every time my arm goes up, maybe it like blink, has to little like hitch up over a tight spot. So that's a, it's a movement for sure. But it's also kind of a way to also see the total, the total, I don't even know what the word is, the total range of motion that your shoulder does cover. Now imagine what you do with your arms most of the day for most, uh-huh. you know, and to go like, here was your potential. So if we, if we, we, we think of move more solely in terms of like number of steps per day or minutes moved per day, we're not thinking of it as degrees of joint range of motion used, which is another way to quantify total movement. So you could say, mm-hmm. well, I move my body a hundred or 10,000 steps today. That's fine. But look at what your shoulders could do, right? You just saw that. You just experienced that. We could quantify it in terms of geometrical positions. Your shoulders, all that motion was almost entirely sedentary today, despite you being someone who moved 10,000 or 30,000 or 40,000 steps. Your whole body could have been active, but your shoulders could have been sedentary for the last 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. That's my point. Movement cannot solely be quantified as a whole body activity because what it's letting slide under the radar is that almost your entire body is sedentary as you're getting those minutes of movement. And so, again, as you so nicely summed up last time, it's not only move more, it's move more of you more. (laughs) (laughs) So the shoulder exercise. It's a good quantifier. It's a good motion, but it's also like, hey, so you see all that for your shoulders? How often have you used 30% of those motions? And you're going to find it's been almost never your entire, entire life. life. Yeah, for sure. And it's that, so so you, it's, that it's a globe yeah. as well, because it reminds me to take that oh. sort of global view mm. of my movement. You must write novels. Like, that's really beautiful. Like, I would never come up with that. I can't lie. <laughs> We have been talking about Move Your DNA, which is now available in an expanded edition. You can find it via your favorite bookseller. You can also find it on Audible. Uh, That audiobook has been updated and expanded just as the paperback has. Mm. And the audiobook's companion PDF has been similarly expanded. You can find all that at audible.com. You can also find it on iTunes. Uh, Katie, we should remind listeners that if they want to read along with us as we work our way through the series, you're making that a little easier uh, with a deal via your website, right? Mm-hmm. Podcast five, all one word. And it doesn't matter lowercase or uppercase, I don't think, with the podcast. So you get five bucks off of any book, all books. You know, you can do it for all books if you want to. 
Um, That's awesome. It's interesting to note, though, when we are when we are trying to like um, you have to figure out the code or whatever. We have a book lovers get moving <laughs> kit. Did you know that? Yeah. So the book lovers get moving kit is all of the books plus our movement multivitamin DVD, which has eighteen of exercises in video format and a half dome, and it's thirty percent off the total. So. If you don't have any of the books and you were going to do them one, $5 at a time, it's actually, you would save even more if you just get the book lover's kit and you get a DVD and a dome. So, And if you have some of the books, you could still do that and then give the duplicates to people as gifts. People love the gifts of, hey, you should exercise more. <laughs> I found that. Hey, I noticed uh, you seem to be a couch potato, so I got you this helpful that's book. That's right. That's like, what do they call those, like backhanded compliments? That's backhanded compliment there right go. there. Well, I also cleaned out about seven pairs of my Happy Feet socks. So used socks are another thing that aren't an okay gift to give. So I'm just, I've am just i actually kept them. I've just paired them up because we can use them all in our house. So anyway, as far as inappropriate gifts go, thank you for that segment. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot wait to see what I figure out to give you for your birthday. It's going to be I'm pretty, pretty excited about that, i got to say. I know from our last conversation that it will arrive in a greasy paper bag. Exactly, so. and no ribbons. That's something to look forward to if you ask me. I'm, um, speaking of things to look forward to, you have some pretty exciting live teaching sessions coming up. Yes. So part of my, you know, like I was just talking about finding the lower tech option. Yeah. You know, I moved to a higher tech option of teaching and it allowed me to reach a, a lot more people. And, I, and I'm glad I've done that and I'll continue to do that. But I started to miss, you know, I got over the hump of having little kids now. So that's that's been helpful. It allowed me to keep teaching while I was still kind of tending to very young children and elderly parents. But now that I'm through that hump now, I am starting to plan a few more live teaching sessions than I have in the last five years. It used to be almost solely what I did. So I'm doing two retreats in the next five months. I believe it's five months. The first one is our first Movement Matters retreat at the last podcast, I talked about how we took a group of our certifying students into the field to experience 90 minutes of hip opening while also doing something which was weeding through these organic lavender fields. So I created a retreat that is that expands upon that. So it is in uh, Chimicum, Washington, which is on the Olympic Peninsula. And it's a two-day event. The first day is alignment classes on the on the Finn River Cidery property that's out here on the peninsula, which is an organic apple orchards cider company, hard cider company. So they ugh, have I sent you pictures? <laughs> like they they make these really beautiful ciders from their trees and also local other products. So a lot of the lavender that we harvested will go to Finn River. So they have a Finn River black currant and lavender and they use rose hips and apple and so it's a combination you'll get you know hours of classes with me where we'll be working on our feet and our knees and our hips and those alignment body adjustment things but then the second portion is going out and harvesting apples and cleaning seeds there's a seed alliance research happening on their property and helping do a little seed saving and processing so they can continue to collect data we're also working on a couple other projects. They have salmon restoration projects that are happening on their property. We're doing a field cider tasting, and we'll get to learn about how cider is fermented and made. 
And then the second day, so that's one whole day, you get your food, you get to party at the cider place at night with live music and dinner after moving in the fields and moving in class all day. And the next day, but don't drink too much because the next day <laughs> I'm leading a, a 25, a 20 mile movement experience. <laughs> so this is your chance to not only, it's not like just putting on a trail going, go walk 20 miles. It's kind of like how to walk long distances. So we've got yeah. these stations along the way with our various teachers who are like, okay, you've done three miles. How are your feet? How are your knees? Like how, how to do it, how to tend to your body parts along the way as you're transitioning into becoming a long distance walker, how to carry, how to vary your carry, how to work with pacing, how to work with adjusting your gait so that when you have fatigued muscles, you can switch to other resources. So I think that it's often like go forth and walk. That's not what I do when I walk 40 miles. I have a whole toolbox of alignment that allows me to that allows me to go the distance. You you need to learn how to choose which terrain you walk over when you're walking to allow some of you to rest while other parts of you take over. That instruction, like you you will walk 20 miles and if you're not able to walk 20 miles, that's fine. But you're going to walk it's a seed to cider river to sea, but we're actually walking sea to river, but don't tell anyone because it didn't sound as good. So we're going to walk, yeah. we're going to walk from the sea to the Dungeness river and a little bit beyond. And so you're, you'll be eating some live, no, not live. That's not the right word. <laughs> Local. You're going to be eating some live food along the way. You'll be eating fresh stuff that's prepared. So it's like a, it's a total movement matters local movement experience. You're going to exchange some of your movement for labor, but then you get to celebrate. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about it. So There's only 30 spaces and it's over half full. I just, we, oh my. I know, I can't believe it. So anyway, that's in September. You can find okay. more on our website. If you go to our live calendar, you'll find retreats and appearances. So all this stuff should be there. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes too. The other Retreat that I'm doing is a little bit larger. It's for 120 people. It's a dynamic aging event for the general public to come and work with me. And I have one assistant for every 20 attendees. So there'll be six of our nutrition, nutritious movement staff there as well. I imagine that it's like friends who come together or parent sibling pairs where we're going to cover how to tend to your feet and your knees and your hips and your spine and your shoulders in exercise and non-exercise way. How to start cultivating at, at any age a more movement-rich life. How to use the experiences that you were all having on a day-to-day -day basis to extract more movement from. And it's at the Kripalu Institute in Massachusetts, which a lot of people might know on the East Coast. And it's 16th, 17th, and 18th of February. And that's got your housing and your food. And in addition, like you'll come to classes with me all day, but then you can also take yoga and your food is all included. So it, that's a nice kind of winter retreat. It'll be snowy. So we'll be inside most of the time, but those are the two big things. And then there are, if you go to that appearances section, you'll find I'm mostly in Washington, going to be doing a few library stops, and then I'll be in New Zealand. More on New Zealand coming up soon once I know my speaking schedule there, but I will be at a couple ancestral health 
symposiums, one in Seattle in September, and then I will be in Queensland, New Zealand in October. So find more details online. And thanks for that. And also, this is what Move Your DNA is really about. (laughs) Did I tie that all in? (laughs) More movement. Uh, Katie Bowman. Listen, the next time you and I are together, I want to talk about dynamic aging. That book has been a a runaway bestseller since it was released earlier this year. And it feels to me like a natural progression from from Move Your DNA. So yeah. Okay. So for those reading along at home, Dynamic Aging would be the book to reach for next. All right. Katie, thank you. Stephanie, this is awesome. Thank you for doing this. I really, I appreciate you providing a great, I don't even know what it is. I I don't want to say template or format. It's just, we walked. We're walking the 20 miles yeah. yesterday to get a sense of like where our stops will be for this retreat. And we listened to the last podcast, which I don't always get a chance to do. So I listened to my own podcast. And one, I <laughs> caught that I said in vivo when I met in vitro, but I changed it in the show notes with a note saying, yeah, sorry, I misspeak a lot. I said, I messed it up. My cook is my husband. He goes, yeah. he's like, you often misspeak and say the wrong words a lot. And I was like, that's true. And you love me anyway. But anyway, yes, I appreciate the structure and and just your your gift at what you do. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone listening. We wouldn't be able to do this if there weren't so many of you listening and downloading. So thank you. Oh, group hug. Should group we have hug. a group hug? Yeah, look, look at yeah. That's like a globe motion. So hugging is a good <laughs> shoulder motion. There we go. Very good. Nice. Nice. A nice hug. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's Between the Lines on the Katie Says Podcast. I'm Stephanie Domet. You can find Katie Bowman at nutritiousmovement.com. You can browse books and videos, find some downloadable alignment snacks, find all those live appearances and live teaching sessions, and sign up for Katie's Pack to the Rafters with Goodness newsletter. I'm Stephanie Domet. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.